Hey, Jason, you know, I was looking at the IMTS site. As a matter of fact, I'm on there right now, and it looks like they're going to be having these awesome educational conferences coming up. I'm looking manufacturing process innovations, additive alternate manufacturing, plant operations, that's a new one, automation robotics, quality, inspection, metrology, and industry 4.0. This is all about educating the future generation and equipping and inspiring the existing baby boomer generation. Yeah, I really think that you can go to IMTS in September and just make a decision at that time based on their education series and say, here are the things that we're going to do in this next year just based on the education you receive from from IMTS. It really can set a manufacturing company up for success in the new year. Yeah, if you haven't already, get to imts.com, register. It's September 9th through the 15th, McCormick Place, downtown Chicago. Jim and Jason are busy working on the restructure of the Making Chips podcast. In the meantime, enjoy one of our favorite episodes from the archives. You're never cutting air, and you're also always looking for what they call the optimal cut condition. So if someone's familiar with something called radial chip thinning, there's basically math behind the angle of the flute of the cutter and the type of material you're cutting and then the feed and speed that you're cutting at. Absolutely. So all of that is an equation to get you to that most efficient amount of material removal. And when you're cutting the right amount of material per flute, all that heat is also being carried away in the chip. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Yeah, so we have in our studio today Matt Sump. Matt Sump works for Shopware, and Shopware is one of the top resellers of Mastercam software. Matt is going to talk to us today about tips to save time and money using cam software absolutely and believe me in my shop i know i know how painful that can be especially when someone's sitting there for hours on that thing and nothing's getting done or they hit a roadblock and so matt welcome it's great to have you here thank you for coming hi guys thanks for having me just before we get started why don't you just briefly describe what shopware does and what is your day-to-day role at shopware Sure. So kind of the short story would be we are here to automate a company's CNC machining process on that time from when they either get a print or a CAD model from a customer to the time that that part leaves the door. And so my day-to-day activities is basically trying to find companies that are willing to invest the time and the money to this automation of their programming and machining process. Right. 
as Jason had introduced you, and, and we know, is Shopware is the largest reseller, or one of the largest resellers of Mastercam yeah. software. And that's what we use in our shop, and we've been using it in our shop for, I would guess, probably 25 years. I used to do it years ago. I've delegated that responsibility to my crew. It's a very powerful software, a CAM software, and we've had a lot of good luck with it. But why don't you tell our listeners and, and me as well, is what is the latest trend in CAM technology right now? I mean, what's the latest and greatest? What are they doing differently? We're going to start high and then work backwards from in our interview. Sure. So as far as what the CAM companies are doing is it's kind of a revolution, I guess you could say, in the way tool paths are calculated. So without getting too technical, all the old tool paths would basically offset the distance from the width of the tool from the geometry you're trying to cut. So in simple terms, say you're trying to cut a box. If you have a half inch end mill, it's, it's going to take, you know, 50% of the width of the tool away from the part and it's going to take equal steps from those distances. But anyone that knows machining, that's not taking into account sharp corners. Changes in the geometry, you know, if the geometry is not overly simple, how is that tool going to react when it's fully engaged in the material and things like that? Really where the industry's going is looking at that amount of material that's being removed per flute per cutting pass. So you're basically getting constant engagement of that tool throughout the so cutting process. So is it process. maximizing cutting tool on metal all the time? You're not cutting air per se. Is right. that what you're saying? Yes, you're never cutting air, and you're also always looking for what they call the optimal cut condition. So if someone's familiar with something called radial chip thinning, there's basically math behind the angle of the flute of the cutter and the type of material you're cutting and then the feed and speed that you're right. cutting at. Absolutely. So all of that is a equation to get you to that most efficient amount of material removal. And when you're cutting the right amount of material per flute all that heat is also being carried away in the chip. So you're cutting cooler. You're so the, the heat's not being dispersed into the metal or in the cutting tool. It's all going in the it's, chip. It's all and going when you in have a chip. combination of all those three things, what, you're, what I believe you're trying to tell me, that's when you have the optimal conditions. Yes. Okay. So yeah, when, when that condition happens, you know, you're able to basically maximize the machine tool that you're using at that time. That's one of the latest trends in, in cam right now. Uh, and I can, I can totally relate to that because, you know, a lot of times what I used to do when I would utilize it, a lot of times you'd be cutting air and it just wasn't efficient enough. Now we do a lot of short run stuff, but I would imagine if you have, you know, a production job that you're programming in master cam, you want to absolutely maximize every single cut that's going on. You don't want to be cutting air. You want to have that tool on the metal, 95% of the time. Yes. Yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. I've always, since I was in the shop utilizing the Mastercam technology, I, and I know what my guys, I think I know what my guys are doing, but I was always interested in how Mastercam integrates cutting tool data into the CAM software. For instance, let's say they want to utilize a, a half-inch diameter ISCAR NML5 flute, chatter-free. Where does that data come from? Do they have to enter it in you know, manually in every single tool? Sure. So it's great that you brought up 
Iskar because we've worked with them directly to basically build their tool data into the software. So if the user picks that particular Iskar tool, it's going to give all that data to them. And then there's essentially a slider because all these new tool paths use the full flute length of the cutter. So you're you're taking a max Z step, but you're taking a really small X, really? Y step. So when Mastercam goes to write a tool path, it's utilizing the full flute length. Yes. Very interesting. That's part of what that whole, what I was talking about earlier with the way that cam software is going. You're paying for a tool with a three-quarter inch flute length. You know, you might as well right. use it, right? Oh, my God. For years, I've seen, uh, you know, the, these expensive end mills, and only the first one-eighth inch yeah, is, is, is worn. worn. Yeah, and then it's got to send out for sharpening. It's it's very cost, you know, inefficient. Right. So this is great. This is news that I didn't even know of. So what does it do? Does it compensate like radial tool diameter? It's taking all of those into effect. And really the only slider you have is based on the spindle speed that your particular machine can do. You can slide that to what you want to run the spindle speed at. And then it calculates that basically surface feet per minute that the tool is going to move. Sure. And then depending on what material you're cutting in, there's recommendations on how aggressiveness fast you can go. And, you know, are you using coolant or just air blast and things like that? And these are all things that you can check off or not check off. Right. Yes, we're using coolant. Yes, we're using air blast. Or we're not using anything at all. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. So you had mentioned that you actually have a database of tools from particular manufacturers already loaded into your software. Yeah. Iscar is the only one to kind of take it to that nth degree of having everything in there and having it, you know, right inside the menus of the software. The other tooling companies were, were trying to work with them. It's, you know, it's always a matter of getting people to talk and realize that we're all in this together and they need to you know, see the value of what you're right. doing. And, and, you know, we're all in the same shops. We all want the same goals. But what, what do you do for, you know, those tools that are, that are not in your database? Sure. So. The manufacturers have information on their website. You can download the tool right from their website so you can have the exact copy right inside a Mastercam. And then they'll they'll basically have that chart data on their website of what those values are. And then you just fill the fields into Mastercam. So it's kind of like a like a one-time work thing. Like once you set up that particular tool, you don't have to set it up every time you use the software. It's just kind of that initial setup. So many questions to ask. You had sent me a little bio, and I thought it was really interesting when you were talking about 90% utilization point. Can you share that with me? Because I know I, at least I don't know exactly what that means, but maybe I do. Why don't you share that with us? Sure. So you have how many, six machines in your shop or seven or something like that? So in a particular working day, there's only so many hours that that machine can make chips. So looking at from a standpoint of, okay, I have eight hours in the day that my employees are there and that the machines are going to run. How much of that eight hours am I actually making money with the machine? Because if you're not removing material with the machine, you know, you're not making money with it, what right? Did my, Jason, what did my dad always say? If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Right? Right, exactly. It's exactly the truth. If the spindle's not running, you're not making money. You know, it's kind of the truth. So go ahead. the wise elder car. Yeah, the us. us. Sure. So, I mean, more times than not, I'll walk into a customer and the guy will, you know, I talked to him on the phone before I came in and they'll tell me, you know, they're busier than can be. And, you know, they, they can't keep up with, you know, everything's, you know, just in time production now. So, you know, as soon as you get that order from the customer, you know, that has to be out in the door in a couple of days. 
And um, we're not quite to that level yet. But. Right. But then the guy tells me how busy he is. And then I walk into a shop and, you know, maybe two out of the six machines are running at that time. You know, the other ones, one's getting set up and other guys, you know, doing something at the controller and who knows what else they're doing. But, you know, it's not making shifts. It's, so it, they're not being efficient. Right. Do you have a particular process that you share with your customers to make that 90% utilization go up? I mean, what would you say? Okay, so you walk into that customer and you see that and you say, boy, Jim, there's something we can do here. Is that part of your what you do with your customers? Right. Or? So yeah, it's, it's all part of our you know discovery process. We're not there to just sell you a CD and run out get on to the next one. Really what we want to do is look at them from, you know, kind of a top down, you know, a Google bird's eye view of what their process is like and where it can be improved. You know, sometimes it's, you know, getting the software, getting a different level of the software or something like that. But looking at, you know, okay, you have too many parts that aren't being programmed and the machines aren't being run, you know, that 90% of the time, you know, maybe it's worth the guy, the guy's never thought of, okay, I could hire a guy to just write programs all day and then have operators at all of my machines also get like a... What, how, how long does it take to get a programmer at that level just to be constantly like banging them out? You know, he gets that CAD data. It's right. probably emailed to us because that's how we work typically yeah. in our shop. So that solid model comes in, email, he pulls it off his drive or pulls it off his Gmail. He imports it into Mastercam. How high of a level guy is that person? So what I've seen, and we've been working with the local colleges a lot on this, and it seems to be about a two-year apprenticeship type program to get it a level where you're competent enough. What I always say... The software is the easy part. I am a whiz in the software. I've never, you know, really worked in a shop in my life, you know, so I don't know what I would say the hard part is the metalworking side of the tool path. You know, what speeds and feeds to use? How would I approach, you know, if I have a super hard steel, right. I need to use this type of tool and I can only, you know, step over this amount. That's, I think, the harder part to learn. So it's a lot easier to right. take. Well, every every metal has a surface feet rating to it, a machinability rating. Right. That's old school stuff that I grew up with. You know, yeah. I knew that, you know, it was always rated at like utilizing a high speed tool. But I mean, which nobody uses anymore. Everyone's using carbide. But right. yeah, I, so I, I do understand that. If the person knows the metal side of things and all they need to learn is the software, I mean, that's just a couple training classes worth to getting to use the software. There's no real long learning curve to actually being able to, you know, crank those programs out, as you said. Sure. There was something else, too, that kind of struck a chord with me. You had mentioned high-speed machining. We, I hear that word used all the time. Yes. And you know what? I don't know what it is. I mean, really, what is high-speed machining? Is it cranking up the uh, potentiometer on the feed rate or this, oh, I'm going to crank the, the potentiometer up on the uh, RPM, and then I'm going to do the same thing with the feed rate. You know, let's crank. Let's make some chips. Let's really make some chips. Right. But, you know, I think that word is overused in our industry. Yes. So my little two-minute spiel on this is when all the cam companies thought of this 10, 15 years ago is when it kind of first, you know, you heard like tricoidal milling and things like that. I know like what that. tricoidal milling is. And they thought, okay, these tool paths can cut the part 50% faster. You know, let's, let's call it high speed machining. But then everyone thinks, you know, I need a 30,000 RPM 
Matsura or something like that in order to use these. When, like what I was talking about before, with the engagement of the tool and that chip thinning strategy, really what you're looking for is that optimal cut condition. You're not looking to go as fast as you possibly can go because if you're going too fast, then you're going to start to burnish the metal and you know work harden the it, yeah, especially on like 300, 300 series stainless steel. Right, is notorious you know, then for you're that. getting melted surfaces or tooling or whatever else. And especially if you have an expensive piece of metal, you don't want to ruin that. You don't want right. to scrap the whole job. So. About two or three years ago, we were at the Mastercam dealer conference. It might have been four years ago now. And we were all talking about this because we had all the new high-speed tool pass out and nobody was using them. You know, if I would ask my customers at a seminar or something, a raise of hands on how many people are trying the new stuff, I'd get, you know, one out of 50. And we're thinking, you know, we really need to get these people trying this stuff because it is real world stuff that can, you know, improve your company's bottom line and, you know, make you look like this superstar within your company, you know, just being a programmer, you know, no one thinks of them as someone that can really affect the bottom line of... They can. Yeah. Yeah. And... um that's when we came up with the whole dynamic name of the tool pass. Dynamic tool paths, pathing? Is that what Yeah, we just call it dynamic machining. Dynamic and so machining. none of our tool paths now are called high speed just because it doesn't make sense to, to what it's doing. Because the whole dynamic thing is basically the software is always dynamically looking at what it's cutting and how it's cutting and getting you to that optimal cut condition I keep talking about. You're using, you know, quote unquote, high speed tool pass. But I have a video I could send you guys a link on. We ran this on a two-axis bridge port. It was, you know, 2,000 RPM and a couple horsepower. It was really still utilizing those same theories. Well, that's interesting. You know, I hear that word all the time, and I like that you changed it up to dynamic because it really is dynamic. It may not necessarily be high speed, so it's a new way of doing it. Obviously, I'm old school. I grew up programming GNM code machines with a little bit of CAM technology that I've learned. Do you think that there is a time where a machinist could actually take the steel, take the material, take the print, and go up to that old CNC machine and just bang in a program right into the control and do it faster than you can do on MasterCam. I would challenge pretty much anyone to a race. Really? Okay, um, maybe we'll have that because <laughs> I'm pretty good. I've, I am. But, you know, if you're cutting, you know, a box with one hole in it and it's, you know, reamed and that's it, you know, probably. But, you know, there's there's things I could go into, you know, for a lot longer than people would want to listen to this podcast about ways you could automate the software to, you know, make that stuff even faster. Right. But, well, that was the whole concept, like, bet between the Mazatrol programming style too they say that's good for just quick get it in the machine throw it in there throw a couple holes in skim the top skim the four sides boom you're done right so very very interesting that jim you know what i just found out from a manufacturing leader that i'm good friends with what's it his entire server system got hacked I mean, I don't know what I would do if somebody hacked into my system and, and, and it caused our ERP system to go down. Yeah, that is a big thing among manufacturers nowadays. I know some of our peers in the industry, their clients say that they have to have a whole protocol of cybersecurity set up on their server, off-site, everything. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And how can we learn more about that? Well, 
from what I understand, there's going to be a specialist at the manufacturing meeting in Doral, Florida, March 7th through 10th, and he's going to be talking about how we can better equip ourselves as manufacturers to prevent cybersecurity. And what to do if it does happen. And what to do if it does. You don't want to pay that ransom money, right? No, you don't. So go to themfgmeeting2018.com, March 7th through the 10th in Miami, Florida. So we're just about up with our time here. If you could give our listeners three things that you could tell them to reconsider to improve their CAM skills. What are those three things that you see all the time when you go into those smaller machine shops, maybe even bigger machine shops, that they can listen to this podcast and say, man, you're right. I mean, it could be anything from a small thing to a big thing, but... Sure. Yeah. I think I got three, three good points for people to cover and try out. So the, so the first is to just try those, you know, high speed dynamic tool pass. Every cam system out there now has something like that in there. And what I find more often than not is just people not believing that it works. You know, it's breaking old habits is hard. I know. And, you know, anytime trying something new, people are afraid. And like what we've done with Mastercam corporate is we've developed some test files that we can send our customers and, you know, the parts already pre-programmed. It has recommended tooling information and to just run them at the machine at their shop, as opposed to, you know, seeing it in a YouTube video or at a seminars or something like that. You know, people don't really believe anything until they see it. I would say, you know, just kind of break out of your comfort Utilize zone. Utilize those dynamic tool paths that are already integrated into the And, into you know, the even if you're not doing large amounts of material removal and, you know, maybe you're just looking for a really good surface finish, you know, there's a lot of applications that those can be used in. That's one. So two, I would say look into how your software can automate the process that you're already doing within it. So... To make a little more sense of that is Joe Blow Machine Shop gets the software in, you know, it turns on a ton of light bulbs. They think it's the best thing in the world and they're getting more utilization out of their machines, but they're still kind of manually using the cam software. So every time they get a part in from a customer, they're redoing things that they did yesterday. So there's a lot of tools, and I'm sure all the systems have it, but our system has some functions where you can basically save out things that you've done before, you know, defaults on how your tooling is. You know, even though the part geometry is a little different, everyone kind of cuts their own way, and they have their own, you know, view of how... Every machinist is going to program a part and cut a part completely different. You could put 10 machinists... And put a piece of steel and a print in their hand, and everyone's going to have a different idea on how to cut that. Right. Like when I went into your shop a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to Serge, you know, he wanted to cut apart a certain way, and he never wanted to cut the flat in the same tool path as he was cutting the 3D radius. So he could go in there and he could tell the software, I want to save out, you know, Serge's operation library. And the next time he gets a part like that, there's really no programming involved. Is it like subroutining a little? Basically, it's like kind of like a macro, essentially. A macro, I get it. You just bring in the new geometry from the new customer and say, okay, I want to cut this the same way I cut it in the job I cut last week throw that tool path onto that part and click create the G code. You know, there's no re setting up anything and picking step overs and depth of cuts and all that stuff. And every place I go into the guys don't take the time to, well, they're not pushing themselves to try something different. Right. Yeah. And number three, number three, I would say I summed it up as saying, go beyond the basics. 
every shop is going to have their niche at what they're good at. So a good example is I was at a customer a couple weeks ago. They're a hydraulic manifold manufacturer. So it's a lot of drilling. You know, you, you got a four-sided block. There's holes coming out of it every which way from Sunday. You know, 50 different toolings. There's custom form tooling Absolutely. and all this other stuff. So back four or five years ago when they were doing this by hand, you know, when they first got a cam system, it was great. They were able to really shorten their lead time and improve their quality. You know, everything that a cam system can do. But they didn't really look at, okay, what else is out there that could be part of our CAM system that can really kind of take it to the next level. So we have an add-in in, in to MasterCAM called ProDrill, and we showed it to these guys. They, they saw it at IMTS last year. We can basically customize their tool library and make the programming of these 800 drilled holes in one block into a three-click process no kidding. where every tool is defined, everything's set up. You know, and it's one and done sort of thing. You know, it's never going to be fully automatic, but the more automated you can make it, the better. Sure. And there's areas, I think, in all cam systems and companies and things like that where you can, you know, really find whatever niche you're in to see what little add-ons and extras are out there to make your life easier. You know, if you're doing porting or you're making blisks all the time or, you know, whatever your industry is that you serve. That's great. That's really good stuff. We're just about out of time right here with Matt, so we're coming to the end of our uh, body of the podcast. Matt, what a, what a pleasure having you in our studio today. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Matt. I, I'm, I'm sure you brought relevant information to our listeners that they wouldn't normally know. If you want to get a hold of Matt, he's at shopwareinc.com. That's the name of the company that he works for. Also, uh, if you want to connect with him on LinkedIn, his LinkedIn profile is M-A-T-T. His last name is S-U-M-P, Matt Sump. Very easy, two syllables, like not hard to figure out. Uh, Matt, once again, thank you so much. We yeah, appreciate you being here today. Another one in the bucket, right? Bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. So it's on, on these these new tool paths take a lot um, can you bigger. Guys, can you guys stop for a second? Can sure. you ask that question again and go back? Because that. Bang is oh you okay th- he can't get that out no okay no. so ready yeah I'm sorry Jeff no it's okay this is what this is the beauty of editing. Oh, sorry 